Internet Podcast, a place for educational rheumatology content to improve research and patient care. If you are too busy to read the Immunet newsletters and the win contributions, this podcast is exactly for you. Now you can get updated while on the go. This is a new episode of What is New? Here we highlight 10 new publications in the field of rheumatology. My name is Tue Kraustrup. I'm recording from Aarhus in Denmark. And I'm your host today. So let's begin with the first contribution. This is Rheumatoid Arthritis Clinical Research. Uh, the title of the uh, paper is The Relationship Between Autoantibodies and Bone Mineral Density in Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis. And this is by Josephine Amkreitz and co-authors. Uh, the background for the study is that patients with rheumatoid arthritis have a two times higher risk of osteoporosis-related fractures uh, compared to age-matched controls, uh, and the precise immunopathogenesis of this relationship is unclear. Um, So uh, autoantibodies such as anti-citrullinated protein uh, antibodies, ACPAS, uh, they have been described to induce bone loss in RA. Uh, So this could also be reflected in bone mineral density. So, so really the aim of the study was to investigate the relationship uh, between bone mineral density and ACPA within two large RA cohorts in the Netherlands and in Sweden uh, using longitudinal data including detailed information on disease activity and treatment. So in uh, both uh, cohorts they used DEXA scans as a measure of bone mineral density and uh, all patients receive standard clinical care uh, or a tight remission uh, steered treatment protocol. So what were the results? Um, so at baseline, ACPA positivity uh, was indeed associated with lower systemic uh, bone mineral density. Uh, ho- however, uh, ACPA positivity was not associated with greater BMD loss over time. Uh, this was also uh, found for other RA-specific autoantibodies such as rheumatoid factor and anti-carbamylated uh, protein antibodies. Uh, so in conclusion, presence of ACPA at baseline is correlated with lower BMD. However, over time, there was no relationship between loss of BMD and uh, ACPA positivity. So let's move on to the next contribution. This is rheumatoid arthritis, basic and translational research. The title of this paper is The Detection of of Circulating Highly Expanded T-Cell Clones in At-Risk Individuals for Rheumatoid Arthritis Before the Clinical Onset of the Disease. And this is by Lamakia uh, and colleagues. So the background of uh, this study uh, is that definitely uh, T-cells are involved in the pathogenesis of rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, and that uh, T-cell clones have been found in the synovial tissue uh, of affected patients. Um, However, uh, it has also uh, been shown that um, these T-cell clones have been uh, found in different joints uh, of the same patients. So so this really suggests that uh, these T-cell clones uh, may come from periphery uh, after activation and proliferation um, and then um, migrate to the joints. So the aim of this study was to verify the presence of T-cell clones before the development of full-blown disease, uh, analyzing the T-cell repertoire in the circulation uh, of healthy first-degree relatives of patients with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. 
uh, and they did this in three different preclinical pre stages uh, and of matched RA patients. So what were the results? Um, indeed, the number of highly expanded T-cell clones uh, was increased in uh, patients with established rheumatoid arthritis, but also in um, uh, first-degree relatives of patients with rheumatoid arthritis when they were symptomatic uh, compared with asymptomatic uh, first-degree uh, relatives. So, uh, translated to a clinical setting, um, these results suggest that the detection of T-cell clones in rheumatoid arthritis first-degree relatives might actually help uh, predict imminent uh, rheumatoid arthritis onset. Uh, and in a more basic uh, context, it's going to be really interesting to see if we can identify the uh, antigenic specificity and the functions of these expanded T-cell clones. So, moving on to the next contribution, this is spondular arthritis and psoriatic arthritis, clinical research. The title of this paper is, um, is treatment in patients suspected of non-radiographic axial spondular arthritis effective? Six months results of a placebo-controlled trial, and this is by Tamara Rossman uh, and colleagues. So this is obviously a very interesting question. Uh, so, so the background is that uh, in many studies and in uh, clinical routine, the presence of uh, either a positive MRI or uh, an elevated CRP is sort of required to start a biologic treatment uh, in uh, patients with non-radiographic axial spondular arthritis. Uh, however, there's uh, uh, no evidence uh, regarding efficacy um, in these patients if uh, the patients have low CRP or non-active lesions on MRI. And so what did uh, this study find? Um, well, in these uh, patients suspected of non-radiographic axial spondular arthritis uh, and um, reportedly high disease activity but without the requirement of positive MRI or elevated CRP, uh, a short-term treatment, uh, that is uh, 16 weeks with etanercept, did not result in significant improvement in disease, disease activity com compared to placebo. So how, how uh, might this impact uh, clinical practice and future developments? Well, in patients suspected of non-radiographic axial spondular arthritis but with no objective signs of inflammation, treatment with a TNF inhibitor uh, demonstrated no effect. So treatment with biologics should not be initi initiated in uh, such patients. Um, uh, however, as the um, responsible immunet uh, con contributor uh, of this contribution, Mikhail Putopopov uh, states, the, there could be some questions raised about uh, if this population truly captured patients with non-radiographic axial spondular arthritis. So please check out the publication yourself. You can find the link on the Immunet website. And when the uh, win contribution is uh, tweeted on Twitter, you can go and leave us a comment. So moving on, the next contribution is spondular arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, basic and translational research. So the title of this paper is um, Normal Human Intasis Harbors Conventional CD4 Positive and CD8 Positive T-Cells with regulatory features and inducible IL-17A and TNF expression. And this is by Abdullah Vatad and Dennis McGonagall and colleagues. So the 
background of this study is that uh, previous um, publications have um, demonstrated that normal human spinal enthesis uh, can definitely harbor uh, several innate immune cell populations. Uh, this includes type 3 innate lymphoid cells, myeloid cells, and also gamma, uh, gamma delta T cells. Um, however, uh, a description of adaptive immune T cells at the enthesis have, have not previously been reported. So this is uh, the first study to uh, identify conventional, conventional CD4 positive and CD8 positive T cells uh, at the enthesis. And they did extensive uh, work to um, uh, characterized these cells and found that the cells in the in thesis compared with peripheral blood T cells uh, showed increased expression of especially immunomodulatory genes such as uh, IL-10 and TGF-beta. They also looked at differences between CD8 uh, positive T cells and uh, CD4 positive T cells uh, and indeed following stimulation um, both uh, T cell subsets could produce uh, TNF uh, however, um, uh, IL-17A production was exclusive uh, to CD4-positive T-cells. So, moving on to the next contribution, the category is um, uh, SLE and connective tissue diseases, uh, clinical research. Uh, the title is uh, Estimation of the Burden of Shielding Among a Cross-Section of Patients Attending Rheumatology Clinics with SLE data from the British Society of Rheumatology audit of uh, SLE and this is by Megan Rutter uh, and colleagues. So what is this uh, study about? Um, well, whilst a lot of attention has understandably uh, been focused on the direct clinical impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on mortality and morbidity outcomes, it's uh, also important especially for rheumatologists uh, to consider the impact of national lockdowns and social distancing uh, for our patients. So in this excellent report by Rutter and colleagues, the authors sought to investigate the impact of, of shielding uh, on the patients with SLE in the UK. So what were the findings? Um, the authors highlight that more than one third of patients with SLE in the UK have actually been shielding during the COVID-19 pandemic in the UK. Um, in addition, uh, patients with a history of lupus nephritis were more likely to be shielding uh, and as such may not be having face-to-face -face appointments. Furthermore, patients uh, from ethnic minority groups were also more likely to be advised to shield and this raises a number of important points that should be considered when uh, providing care uh, remotely for patients with lupus. We will move on to the next contribution. So the category is connective tissue disease and vasculitis uh, and now basic and translational research. The title is Somatic Mutations in UBA1 and Severe Adult Onset Autoinflammatory Disease. So this is the paper uh, from the New England Journal of Medicine coming out from NIH, uh, first authored by Beck and last authored by Kastner and Grayson. So the background here really is that at NIH they have the power, the resources, uh, the know-how to look for somatic mutations in patients suspected with some kind of autoinflammatory syndrome. Often uh, it's not possible to identify a somatic mutation but sometimes it is. And what is uh, UBA1? Well, this is a gene encoding the ubiquitin activating enzyme 1. Uh, and this enzyme plays a critical role for initiation of ubiquitination. 
So this is uh, hard to pronounce, but basically it's uh, it's a post-translational modification process uh, important in regulating uh, of protein functions in terms of intracellular signaling and de degradation via proteasomes. And so the main finding in this uh, paper is that they identified a somatic mutation in this UBA1 gene uh, that causes uh, a syndrome uh, with uh, autoinflammation, basically. And uh, they have termed it VEXAS, V-E-X-A-S. This stands for vacuoles, uh, E1 enzyme, X-linked autoinflammatory somatic. And they... Uh, give the characteristics of 25 newly identified patients and uh, some of the characteristics are fever, uh, skin involvement, uh, lung infiltrates and chondritis. So how can uh, these new findings change the existi uh, existing paradigms? Uh, well, uh, it supports the hypothesis that there really is some smaller genetic clusters under the umbrella of uh, some of the clinical classification of rheumatic diseases. Uh, so it's uh, interesting that uh, the authors underline that that uh, these patients uh, also uh, typically meet um, other clinical classification criteria for other diseases. So if, if you look in your own uh, rheumatology co uh, cohort, uh, you might be able to identify VEXAS patients among the patients currently diagnosed with um, diagnoses such as giant cell arthritis, polyarthritis nodosa, and re relapsing polychondritis. So moving on to the next contribution, uh, which is osteoarthritis. The title is Physical Therapy versus Glucocorticoid Injection for Osteoarthritis of the Knee. This is by Dale and colleagues. So the background is that both physical therapy and intraarticular injections of glucocorticoids have been shown to confer clinical benefit with respect to osteoarthritis of the knee. However, uh, whether short-term or, uh, or long-term effectiveness for relieving pain and improving physical function differ between these two therapies is uncertain. So this is a randomized uh, trial um, uh, conducted in the primary care setting in the U.S. military health system. And uh, the primary outcome was the total score on the WOMAC at one year. So what were the results? So they enrolled 156 patients, and at baseline, the WOMAC score was around 108 in both groups. And then after one year, in the uh, glucocorticoid injection group, the WOMAC score was uh, 55. And in the physical therapy group, uh, the WOMAC score was uh, 37. So the main conclusion is that patients with knee osteoarthritis who underwent physical therapy had less pain and functional disability at one year compared with patients who received an intraarticular glucocorticoid injection. So moving on to the next contribution, this is pediatric rheumatology. And this is a basic science paper uh, with the title Juvenile Idiopathic Arthritis Fibroblast-like Synoviocytes influence chondrocytes to alter BMP antagonist expression demonstrating an interaction between the two prominent cell types involved in endochondral bone formation. This is by Megan Simons and colleagues. Uh, so what is uh, BMPs and uh, why may it have a role in the pathogenesis of juvenile idiopathic arthritis? 
Uh, well, bone morphogenic proteins are members of the TGF uh, family and have previously been shown to promote proliferation of fibroblast-like synovial sites in rheumatoid arthritis, uh, while also driving fibroblast-like synovial cells to become um, chondrocytes. Uh, so how, how did the authors investigate the role of BMP uh, and um, more precisely BMP4 in this study? Uh, so the authors uh, used uh, fibroblasts like uh, synovial uh, uh, cell lines and cells from uh, patients with juvenile uh, idiopathic arthritis and also chondrocytes uh, in order to assess the effect of recombinant uh, BMP4 on uh, fibroblast and chondrocyte activation and differentiation. And so what did they find? Uh, well, they conclude that um, they provide evidence that BMP4 enhances the pluripotency and uh, chondrocyte-like feature development of fibroblast-like synovial cells from uh, patients with juvenile idiopathic arthritis. So the uh, next contribution is epidemiology. Uh, and the title is COVID-19 outcomes uh, among patients with rheumatic diseases six months into the pandemic. And this is by Naomi Serling-Boyd and colleagues. So obviously everyone knows that COVID-19 is a global health crisis. Um, for this study, the background is that earlier studies uh, found that uh, patients with rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases had similar odds of hospitalization and death uh, 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 compared with the general population, uh, but higher odds of mechanical ventilation. Uh, so this was... Uh, a cohort study at the U.S. Multicenter Healthcare System. The study included 143 patients with uh, uh, rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases and uh, 688 uh, comparators. And what was uh, the results? Well, the risk of hospitalization, intensive care unit, admission or mortality were not significantly higher um, uh, among the RMD uh, patients compared with the uh, uh, general population. So this study uh, may provide reassurance uh, to RMD uh, patients um, because similar risks of severe COVID-19 respiratory complications or death uh, uh, compared with the general population was found. Now moving on to the final contribution. Uh, the topic is patient perspective and patient education. The title is patient perspectives on gout and gout treatments, a patient panel discussion that informed the uh, 2020 American College of Rheumatology treatment guideline. And this is by Jess Winder Singh and colleagues. So the background is that gout is uh, definitely uh, very common and one of the most uh, common inflammatory arthritis worldwide and still represents a therapeutic challenge for both patients and physicians. And for this uh, particular um, paper, uh, the background is that organizations such as uh, ACR uh, really wants to involve patients uh, so that guidelines uh, also represent uh, shared decision uh, making. Uh, so um, a patient panel group session that included eight patients uh, with uh, gout was conducted. Uh, clinical scenarios were presented to patients and they discussed their re uh, perspectives regarding their choices. So this study really provides uh, patients' perspectives on uh, several common clinical scenarios. 
um, and specifically this insight resulted in ACR recommendations that valued more active management over less aggressive options and uh, included recommendations to start uh, U-rate lowering therapy for patients with early disease and to use a more active treat-to-target protocol to achieve better control of their gout. So uh, that was the final contribution and this makes this the end of this episode of the Immunet podcast. We really hope you enjoyed the show and found the, the content useful. For more information on the highlighted studies, go to the Immunet website, immunet.org. Please also follow us on Twitter and Facebook to keep being up to date with educational content and research opportunities. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you.